Hey, good people. This is Sherry and I, Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I have a list this morning. It is Sunday morning, and I have a list of 10 items. You really started off with four, um, and I felt like those four things could easily be organized into two reflections. But as I start to move about in my morning routines, getting ready to hit the record button, the list just started to grow. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is read the full list. And uh, I'm really curious to see where this reflection takes me because I know for a fact there are at least two distinct reflections, meaning two, um, two topics that need their own reflection. But... Um, that's me talking through my thinking self, and I want to leave room for my intuitive self to um, reveal to me what I don't yet know. So I'm going to read that list to you and do my disclaimers, and then we'll see what happens, okay? All right, so number one, the limits of analysis. The limits of analysis. Number two, the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. Number three, the vocational stack. <laughs> the vocational stack. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm giving you guys a spelling test. <laughs> okay, let me let me keep going. My my bad. One second. Number four, the clarifying moment. The clarifying moment. Number five, being direct. Being direct. Number six, <laughs> this, I have to say it this way, so if there are kids around, please um, pause because there's a, a heavy, a heavy-handed curse word that's coming. All right, you ready? All right. Number six, what the fuck is a thought partner? <laughs> What the fuck is a thought partner? Number seven, children using big words. Children using big words. Number eight, calm is not necessarily about growth. Calm is not necessarily about growth. Number nine, the bastardization of words. The bastardization of words. And number 10. Can I pass the test? Can I pass the test? So even in reading those 10 uh, items or areas out loud, I can clearly see some interconnectedness. Um, but I think each of those items have their own individual um, essence, but I do think that they somehow connect. So let's do my disclaimers and then we'll see what, what's, what the, uh, introverted intuition has to reveal. All right. 
If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as being an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. I loosely identify as a critical race feminist because I believe it is the best way for people to understand my intellectual sensitivity for power as relating to race, gender, sexuality, I feel like this class, and a lot of other things in which power is located or how power is distributed in the social world. This project is unedited, it's unscripted. If you want to know more about me um, or what this project is about, please go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. It's five minutes, y'all. This is good. <laughs> so, whoa, I'm excited about deciding which one I'm going to start with, which of the 10 items on the list to start with. Because that is usually what sets the context of the entire discussion. I actually am going to start with number five. And I think it has a direct connection to number one. And I think numbers two and three go to go together. Right now in my brain, one and five, two and three... Okay, let me clean that up. I believe one, th- one, four, and five go together. Two and three go together. The six and seven, six, seven, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten <laughs> go together. All right, that's helpful. Six, seven, eight, nine, and ten go together. So that's okay. So those are three. If it goes well, those are three separate reflections. So I'm going to start with number five, connecting it to number one and four. Okay, let me get going. So number five is being direct. And um, and this is a concept that has come up several times in the last, I would say, 72 hours. Unless, let's say 96 hours. Anyway, the last week. But it, it's not even a full week, all right? And it has come up in two of the new areas of my life. So you guys know, um, if you go back about a month ago, there was a reflection called the assignment. I was put in uh, a position to be the site leader. And... Um, um, a school principal and I don't identify as a school principal and so I don't I don't usually apply for those positions even though I have that background I have the certification to be a school principal and for the most part I make one hell of a school principal but principaling a school is located within a political context and that is the problem. So it's not the skill of principling, it's the politics of principling that I 
no, I'm not a match for. So depending on the organization, I typically just, I'm not, I don't, I don't apply for it. The challenge of me not applying for principal positions is that I'm not using all of my degrees. I'm not using all of my training. I am not using um, yeah, my degrees in which I'm in debt for. And so usually I don't get the positions that pay for the debt because so so in a lot of ways when they gave me this assignment it's been it's been really good for me to get an inside look at what a traditional principal does because I've been a uh, a school leader but I didn't hold the title of school principal so that's been really good so anywho so about a month ago I was given this assignment at the towards the end of the year and um, and I took it seriously, and I told the head of the organization, the CEO, if you will, that I was going to own it. I told him I was going to own it. I told him I'm not a middle manager, and I am a transformative leader. I was very clear on that, not because of what I aspire to do, but because what I have a portfolio, um, because of what I've done already. And he mistakenly thought he understood that. Just like I mistakenly thought I understood the assignment. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, in doing that, um, and so that's new. The assignment, the principaling role is new. And then I started dating someone, which that might be over. <laughs> they, both, they both might be over really soon. Uh and all of that happened about the same time. So the friend that I told you guys about who um, really helped me to take the next step in terms of my podcasting and my public intellectual work, uh, she contacted me and was like, congratulations on the new relationship. And I haven't had a chance to tell her. So if you're listening, this is for you. I don't consider it a relationship. I just think it's dating. And because I don't date, I guess it's still significant, right? And um, I shouldn't say I don't, but I haven't. I just really haven't been um, ready to date uh, since the end of my of my relationship. And um, even though I've tried, but I've been bored with it and intolerant. And in in many ways, that's still the case. There's a country song that I'm learning. Um, I believe this is by Miranda Lambert and. In the song, she said, I'm not ready. She said, I'm physically here, but I'm still working out some some stuff from the past. And that song really, really resonates with me. First of all, I love, you know, I love the uh, melody, the arrangements. I love that. But it's really kind of my story. Although I feel like I, I don't feel like I'm working out the relationship of the past, I, I really feel like um, I've done all of that analysis. But I think the part, and see, I'm talking about something that's not even on this list, y'all. <laughs> but I'm going to stick it out for a second. I think the part that is still relevant for me in this song about um, being present, but not really, 
is because I've never had a romantic, uh, that sounds gross. Mm, I'm going to say it just to make a point, but it probably is not the best way to say it. I've never had a romantic relationship with myself. So let me say it a better way because that still sounds gross, doesn't it? I've never had a love relationship with myself. I've never had a courtship with myself. I've been in, in intense, intense professional development. My, my entire adulthood was about my vocation. I prioritized that. That was the mastermind as an INTJ. That's what we do. And then as a type A, I'm intense. So I'm like an intense masterminder. Intense mastermining. And so there was no room for me to to court myself. And uh and and then you put on top of that, maybe not, the trauma. I wouldn't have even known how to do it if I wanted to. I would not have known how to love on myself if I wanted to because there was no model for that. There was no model for self-love. As a matter of fact, the model was for self-hate, self-disgust, self-destruction. That's the model. And so really, I'm treating those two concepts as though they're mutually exclusive. The intense investment in my vocational life and the intense neglect of my emotional life. And I don't even think it's it. Yeah, I'll say emotional. Um, let me say it this way. The intense investment in my in vocational self. I said, I like that word, self better than life. So let me say it again. The intense investment in my vocational self and the intense neglect of my emotional self. You know, and then as an INTJ, I can justify that. Like, yo, I don't, you know, I don't do emotions. And I've said this many times as a complete lie in terms of the last, the famous words the last words I heard from my dad as directed to me, my dad called me a bold, he called me a bald face. The term is bold face liar. But culturally, we say bald face liar. <laughs> Those are the last words my dad said, said to me. And that's true as it relates to who I was told to be, excuse me, emotionally. And I think that idea that an INTJ doesn't have emotions, that's just, this is gross. It's just a gross mischaracterization of what INTJ is. We do not lead, we do not do decision making in that way. But as we mature with our tertiary function, the feeling function, we learn to better factor in our feelings. Because if you make decisions, hence this is the neglect of myself, 
If you fail to factor in your feelings, you are ultimately going to cause harm in the long run. Or, in, let me say it differently, incompleteness. You will never be your complete self, your full self, if you are an INTJ. If you never function, uh, factor in that tertiary function, you will be incomplete. I'll be 51 in a few weeks. And in my 40s is when I started realizing I didn't really put it in the context of the tertiary function. I didn't really understand that tertiary function until about 47 in terms of as, as a concept in the, in the Myers-Briggs. Because honestly, most of my journey with the Myers-Briggs was about the four letters. And it was right around, let's say, 45 that I, I begin to understand cognitive functions in the Myers-Briggs system. So anywho, so I understood, I understood introverted feeling. That's FI, is tertiary in my stack. And that helped me better navigate the growth that I needed to in, in, endure to embark upon to learn how to factor that in. And in the last year, I've learned that, honestly, that auxiliary and tertiary function are really connected as though they are one. So that's another justification how INTJs who say they don't feel, they don't have emotions, how that's a gross mis... It's just, it's just falsely wrong. It's just, it's just, it's just incredibly wrong. Because they're together. And when you cut that part off, you're incomplete, sweetness. You're just, you're just incomplete. But nonetheless, I have fallen into a rabbit hole. Um, coming back out, this idea that... Um, I have, it was just easier for me to neglect that part of myself, not just because I'm an INTJ, but because I come from a space where my FI was a threat to the system. So I was punished. I was punished for both of those introverted functions, the introverted intuition and the introverted feeling. So I'm not, but... They both. But here's the thing, and I think I think this is why I'm such I'm becoming such a staunch advocate for the inter- interior the interior landscape, the interior world in my dominant profession, you know, in my dominant life. So as an educator and as a social scientist, I just refuse to have conversations with people anymore without talking about their internal landscape. Now do I have to use the Myers-Briggs? No, I have a number of tools that I can use. But I refuse to engage in conversations with people if we do not make room for the in- inner world. I'm just, I don't do it. So at any rate, at any rate, I just have gone somewhere that I didn't plan to go, but that's okay. Um, so let's get back to number five. <laughs> So I take on this new assignment 
I am, it's a predominantly white space. It is actually, I, I, I'm saying gross a lot, but there are, thank God, there are three black women. Myself included in in on that uh, in that space, and one biracial black man. And I say, he's a black man. He identifies as black. You know, I never really asked him. I just, but I think he does. I think yes, he does. But colorism and the literacies, um, and he was raised by two white parents. That changes, that flavors our political experiences in a predominantly white space. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to do that. But nonetheless, so I'm very thankful that I have, because prior to this assignment for the larger organization, I've, had, I've not had any, anybody black to talk to. So that's a good thing. I didn't even think about that. That's one good thing that's come out of this assignment. That it's given me access to talk to other black people. <laughs> I need to write that down. But, I mean, in a staff of 70 plus, that's, you guys understand, four black people. I'm sorry, five black people. It's four black women, myself included. Five black people out of 70 plus uh, adults in that building. That's significant. There, those, there should be some obvious implications in that. I don't want to have to break that down. And then you put me in there as a leader. <laughs> and I don't even think that organization is under clearly understanding that they've never had a female leader. That's number one. Deep. And the other female leader just resigned after being in there less about a year and a half. So we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. We're going to erase the gender part. And we both are black women. But we're not going to talk about that because I'm writing a piece. I'm writing a piece on race as it relates to leadership, which is turning out to be a really good piece. I started writing it when I was out doing karaoke. Um, I started it last week, Sunday, and it's. I think it'll be ready in about two more weeks. And I just chisel away at it. Like if I'm at a restaurant and I'm waiting for my order, I just pull it because I'm writing it on my phone. And it's been a long time since I've been doing essays, and that's how I do it. I don't, I mean, I just do it on my phone, and then whenever I have time to, it's like, it's just great. It's just a great practice. So, you know, sometimes when you guys, I don't know if you've done this, where you're waiting in line, or you, you just have some downtime, you pull out your phone and play a game. <laughs> I do that. But when you, when I've start when I've started an essay, I just pull out the phone and I just, just chisel away. I might just change a word here and there. I might add a sentence. I might move a paragraph around. And there's no commitment. I just 
few minutes, I play with it. And then after all of that accumulates, I look up and I go, this is a pretty darn good piece. And so that's what happened this morning as I was playing. Nope, that's what happened yesterday. I went to a volleyball game. One of my, my, one of my friend's daughters um, um, was playing volleyball. And so in between a game, I just would pull out my phone intellectually start editing. I hope she doesn't hear this. <laughs> start editing. I say, anyway, y'all, anyway. Oh, my God. This sounds like gibberish. Okay, let me get focused. All right. All right, so that's one thing. So that's new, and then the dating is new. And in both of these spaces, I have my directness or the lack thereof has been brought to my attention. So in the workspace, I've been accused of being overly direct, brutally direct, harshly direct. And I'm like, I'm not accused of being direct when I'm in black spaces. As a matter of fact, I'm accused of not being direct enough when I'm in black spaces. So what is that? So that's what I've been thinking. Like that's what I said to, like so this week I've been accused of like being direct is not considered a positive thing. And I'm like okay. And then last night on a date, I was told the person said I'm not used to talking dealing with somebody who's not direct. I was like, oh fudge. Now I'm being accused of not being direct. Just a minute ago, I was accused of being overly direct. What the hell does it mean to be direct? And I've been thinking about that this morning. And what I wonder is, what is the directness about? And if I could hold space for a minute. So my knee-jerk reaction is to say, it's just all gibberish, right? Forget what they're saying. This is all gibberish. But let's just hold space that both of those, both feedback, um, both feedback events are accurate. That in work, I'm overly direct. And in my personal, I'm not direct enough. Let's just say that's true. What would make that, what, what would cause me to be direct in one space and indirect in another? Well, in just leaning into this, let's just be honest. I'm, let's be honest. Leaning into that. My job, my job requires me to be a director. In my personal life, I don't believe I should direct people. I don't. I believe I should collaborate with them, partner with them. What is number what is number six? I should partner with them. But I don't believe I should direct people in my personal life. Unless they're children. Like and I'm not saying in my work life the adults I work with are kids, but I'm responsible for them. I'm responsible for them and I'm responsible for a particular outcome. I'm directing. I'm not directing in my personal life. I'm not. 
I'm going to say something else that hit me yesterday. It's not on the list, and it's something I've been talking about. But yesterday, it hit me with a level of finality. So I've been processing it. I've been chewing on it. I've brought it into this project, and I saw it for the first time yesterday. I said it with a level of certainty, and I'm no longer going to question it. Remember, I talked about this soft dominance. Soft dominance. I'm flipping pages because I really feel like I feel like I've said it in the last week to you all. And I put that in the context of being an Enneagram 8. And Enneagram 8s are dominant people. But because of my subtype, because the Enneagram it has nine personality types, and each number is based on a stack, what's called an instinctual stack. Is how we survive in the world. So you can have two eights in a room, but because we have a different stack, we might look different. So there are three instincts. My in, my instinctual stack as an eight is I'm a social first, self-preservation second, sexual third. Being a social eight makes me a counter type. Every number has a counter type. So every number has three types of iterations to that number. And one of those iterations is a counter type where it does not look like itself. But when you drill down, it is that. As a social eight, I do not on the surface. I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know, y'all. I'm going to contradict myself. I want to say on the surface, I do not look like a dominant person. Until you do something and you drill down and, and you step into my space and then you experience me as unyielding, resisting a force, for whatever that's worth. The reason why I feel like that's a contradiction is because I've also been in spaces many times now. I have been in several spaces, believe it or not, where I didn't even open up my mouth and someone walked up to me and said, are you like a boss or are you like a supervisor? I remember being out at a club. And I was like, well, actually I am, but <laughs> hello? You have an energy on you. And I'm like, okay. This is long before I knew about the Enneagram. And I don't even think I, it was before I knew about personality theory in general. I know that I have a commanding, <laughs> a commanding presence in my work. But I don't have, maybe that's it. But I don't, I don't believe I have that. Com okay, okay, here it is. I'm going to resolve the contradiction right now. In my intimate spaces, hot diggity dog. In my personal intimate spaces, I lay down. I lay that energy down. I lay it down. This is fascinating. I'm having I'm having an aha moment right now. <laughs> I'm, laughing. I'm laughing because I have no idea how this is coming across to you all. Because I'm in my head right now. Things are like 
there's a web of there's a revelation web branching off in my head right now and I'm like wow do you see it and you all are like no we can't see it (laughs) yeah that was a breakthrough wow so maybe that's what happened that's why in one space I can be called direct and another space I can't I'm saying I'm indirect because I don't believe I should be directing people at the personal level. But in my job is to get people to a particular destination. Then by nature, that's what I'm going to do. And it makes me different. I joined a Facebook. So first of all, I set up a new Facebook account because I had shut my other Facebook account down for political reasons because of this job. And man, I have, what, how many months left? I have about four months. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. But in the meantime, because I wanted to start sharing these episodes on, on Facebook, I went and set up another account under some kind of makeshift name. I shouldn't say it's make. It's like a variation of some different names that I've played around with when I was a kid. So, um, so in, it's not my name, but it's a name that's familiar with. Because when I was a teenager. You know, you go out and the boys be like, what's your name, sweetie? And I would go, "Mm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And so, (laughs) this is my name. I'm being silly. But anyway, so that's that's it. Oh, so I joined, so on Facebook, I joined this, I've joined some Myers-Briggs groups and communities. And uh, I joined one for ENTJs and INTJs. And it just makes me think about what I, this, YouTube video I listened to a few weeks ago where the lady I never heard this but the lady said ENTJs are commanders I believe it was a lady maybe not maybe it was a guy ENTJs are commanders and INTJs are finishers I love that I love it so that's that's ultimately oh this is so good I think I'm just going to end this reflection here because this is ultimately a breakthrough and I want to honor that. So, here it is. In my work, I'm, I am a finisher. I get the job done. Part of that getting the job done is to move a group of people to a particular destination, to a particular outcome. So I look, I can look like a commander, but ultimately I'm a finisher. Now this is what I want to say in my defense at work. And I think it has a lot to do with the gender and a race piece. So when I come in softly through my intellectual side, through the side of reasoning, being rational, I'm being met with a lot of opposition or a lot of opposition, a lot of distractions, a lot of honestly nonsense. And really what it is, is I am working with a lot of feelers, feeler men. I told you guys that they went to the union against me. 
They said this woman was talking so fast and so fresh that she was shaking. She was notice noticeably trembling. And one guy did tell me a couple weeks ago that he's sensitive, a man. And I was like, I was so proud and so excited to be in that conversation with him. But there's another one that I saw, I saw a glimpse of that emotional self, but he was hiding it behind, you know, I don't know. I, I, sometimes, I, I don't know. I don't know. That so I think about that tertiary function, like FI in the tertiary func in the role is different from TI in the tertiary role, and um, I would love to, for some expert to really break that down because I think the INTJ academic attempted to do that. That that tertiary function is actually going to look different depending that tertiary placement is going to look different depending on the cognitive function that occupies it. I'm almost certain that I read that or heard that somewhere. That makes sense, but I, I, not enough for me to try to explain it to you. <laughs> so anyway, so I saw that in him. So, I, so I'm like, wow. And it's just, it's you know, all week I have been trying to problem solve with them one-on-one, which is why when I found out that they went to the union, I said, this is good because now we're going to have something concrete to contend with because I, I don't, I'm, I'm inept in dealing with those feelings like that. I am, especially because we're going to a particular destination. Now, if I was dealing with those, if my, if my ultimate aim was to make them feel good, okay, but that's not my aim. I'm sorry. It is not. You put the wrong person in that role. That is not it. Now, I'd like to get to the destination and have them feel good about it. And I do believe in the long run, I can do that. I really am not worried about it. But in the short term, there's turbulence. That's part of the process. And then I went and pulled out the language of forming, storming, norming, performing. Anytime you have a new person that joins a group, the group has to form, then it has to storm, then it norms, and then it performs. Then it performs there. So this storm that we're in is part of the process in route to performing. And so I'm okay with that. But I think in the storm is about them pushing back through those emotions and and then trying to T-I me. Really, they're F-E in me. And they're using that TI from the tertiary system. I'm almost certain these are FE users. I'm certain because I don't I don't do well with FE. I struggle with FE. It's it's a real blind spot for me. And this is an example of how I would love to teach this framework so we can have that conversation. But more than likely, people who aren't trying to be rational could give two craps about a personality system that explains and systematizes the internal world. I'm not going to be able to do that right now, but it would be awesome for just us to take a look at, not to invalidate them, but to see how they're using that TI as in really as a backup to the FE. And ultimately they're trying to control me, but they're doing it through their own subjective 
thinking, which is fine. I'm not minimizing it. So when you come and F.E. me, this is what's happening. They're trying, they've been trying to F.E. me. No, I can't explain it this way to them. But they're trying to F.E. me, and then guess what they're, gonna, they're being met with? The T.E. And they're not only being met with a T.E., they're being met with a T.E. that is flavored by an eight. So there's the directness. There it is. But I would prefer, I would prefer to do this in a soft way. I would prefer to do this as an intellectual. Let's think this through. Let's, but no. And so let me say this. I've been sharing data about the problem. So we're trying to get to a particular destination. And I've been using data to show that we're not at that destination. Do you know what one of them told me? Don't bring the data up again. (laughs) Oh my God, he was so serious. So the data shows how the students are being harmed. And so so one person, sometimes they say, well, is that data accurate? Is the data entered right? Like, so there's all these ways, there are all these ways that they're trying to, in, in trying not to move to the destination, right? So I give them the data. Is the data entered accurately? Who put it in there? That's, and those, data integrity is a, is a thing. Data integrity is a thing, right? But when you, this is why you do what's called triangulation, in research with data, you triangulate. You don't use one data point. You have multiple data points. I can give that to you. So you don't, you want to question the integrity of this data? Well, let's talk about this data over here. Oh, you want to question that too? Then let's go to this data point over here. At some point, you're going to have to do. So what he came, what this guy came to me this week and said, we don't want you talking about the data anymore. <laughs> Don't bring it up until we trust you. If y'all know what. So anyway, I'm glad about the the union meeting. I'm glad about it because it makes it concrete. And like I told someone, it also gives validity to my commitment to protect the kids who are being harmed. And now I have an artifact because they're right. They're doing a letter of complaint. That letter of complaint is an artifact for me. It's just evidence. So while you may not want to get to this destination in this organization, another organization would say, we want that. Oh, that's good. Here's proof that you know how to do it. So anyway. That's not, you notice that that's, that wasn't on my list because I'm not struggling with that. I'm not contending with that part of the job. But anyway, I just, but the whole, to, to get to the point so I can start bringing closure. Being, see, I started with number five and that's where I stayed. Being direct is, this has been a really, really good reflection for me because this idea of being direct as a finisher, ultimately, I think this is where I want to end. Ultimately, I'm a finisher as an INTJ. And as a finisher, I am factoring in a number of things, a number of variables that are related to the journey or to the the destination. 
when I have time, I'm learning to maneuver. Uh, I'm not, I've been skiing once. I think I did pretty decent. I really wish skiing was something I would have learned when I was younger so that, you know what I mean, my body would have been ready for it, my my psyche would have been ready for it, but, you know, I guess I could still try to learn to ski ski at 51. It's not it. It's not over. But my, I'm going to use a skiing metaphor, but not as in skiing. There was a video game on the game Atari, those of you who were born in the 70s. And you were a teenager in the 80s. You get what I'm saying. There was a game, a console called an, a, the Atari. And there was a skiing. And you, you would have to get down the hills. And you would have to maneuver through the trees. Well, as a finisher, that's what I'm doing. I'm maneuvering. Right? That means I'm not going to just get to my destination. Because as an in, intuitive dominant, as an introverted intuitive dominant... I can see the trees are in the way, and I'm trying to maneuver around them. So it takes time. So that's what makes it look indirect. But in my occupation, but sometimes, okay, this is not even about occupation. I get it now. But sometimes when I am very familiar with the landscape, I don't have to move around it. Or, a better way to say it, when I have the jurisdiction to remove the tree. There it is. When I have, okay, this is it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm trying to work with this metaphor. When I have jurisdiction to remove the tree, if it's in the way, instead of going around it, I just remove it. Now, if that tree is an integral part of the of a network with the other, if it is an integral part of the greater network of trees, I'm not going to remove it. I'm going to move or maneuver around it. But in those moments where the tree is in isolation, its own event, its own phenomenon, I'm going to remove the tree. And in that time, that's when I'm the most direct. If I am aware through my introverted intuition that that tree is in an integral part of the network of trees as a part of that landscape, I have to maneuver around it. And I'm probably going to be a little more indirect in that way. Hot diggity dog. This is good, y'all. So this isn't even about personal and occupational. This is about destination. And jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Jurisdictional authority. And in my personal life, I don't have jurisdiction over another person. So I'm or an, or over the environment. So I'm probably gonna be less inclined to directly remove a tree than I would be in a space in work where I do have jurisdictional authority. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean I won't maneuver around trees at work, and it doesn't mean I won't cut trees down in my personal life. But I'm probably more prone to do one versus the other depending on jurisdictional authority. Hot diggity dog. Well, if you guys never come back, I will understand this because you're probably like, I don't even know what this lady was talking about. <laughs> She's talking about trees and skiing and 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> I want to I want to thank you for just being here because I'm telling you, this reflection did not come out. This aha moment did not come out when I was in my head this morning thinking about my list being direct. It came out as I was talking it out loud with you all. So thank you for being here. I do want to just say this one thing about limits of analysis. At least I want to lift it here to see if it if it can be put in context to this conversation around directness. So one of the things I was accused on this date last night, I was being questioned. I was being questioned because the person was trying to get directness from me. And I was struggling with the analysis. I was struggling with the directness because the analysis part was telling me, the analytical part of me was trying to figure out what's the so what? What's the ultimate part of this exchange? Is it about the analysis? Or is it about an experience? God, this is good. If it's about the analysis, I can give that to you. No, I couldn't actually. I couldn't because my analysis was incomplete. I needed time to I needed some time to collect some more data. But I think even had I had all the data necessary, I knew that that analysis would interfere with the experience of the date, not even the date really, of the of the courtship. Because here it is. Okay, here it is. My analysis of the situation is probably going to be negative to the person. And I think this is what makes me different as a mature, seasoned, experienced INTJ versus who I would have been when I was younger. Like, whatever, I'm going to just let you know what you're dealing with. And I didn't do that. I didn't want to do that. And I I didn't want to do it because I've already determined, like, oh, well, I'm... This is fun. I'm not going to let that analysis get in the way. Hmm. I feel like there's a connection with directness there, but I'm going to end it here. When analysis, I'm sorry, I'm not ready to let it go. When analysis, when, what is the function of analysis of those of you who are TE users, I think TI can do it as well. What is the purpose of being analytical? What is the end result? What are you trying to finish? What is it? Is it just to take a thing and break it apart? Is that if that is your end result, then have at it, boo. But if you're truly about effectiveness if you are an INTJ and you are truly a finisher it is not enough to take a situation and break it down to its smaller parts it's about getting to a destination 
And that's when analysis can have its limitations if all you're doing is analysis. And here's a better question. Is analysis something for the other, um, for the receiver? Is, when is analysis necessary for the receiver? And I think that does connect to directness. Because if analysis isn't going to get to that direct, that end result, I don't need to give you that analysis, baby. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do it because it's going to get in the way of my destination, of my targeted end. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> so I'm done for real now. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about directness connects, like we've talked about being direct, indirect, we've, I've, we've talked, we, like you're talking back. Hopefully you are wherever you are talking back uh, to me. What are the environmental conditions in, that will influence the degree of directness? What are the outer conditions that will influence directness? And what are the inner conditions that will influence directness? And ultimately, what is the end goal? What is the end game of being direct? Is it to remove the tree? Then is it? Is it? Now, sometimes people are direct. It ain't got nothing. It ain't got nothing. You hear me? It ain't got nothing to do with a tree. And it, it's just not. It's just they live there. And I think this is this is a younger INTJ, and this is about ego. For an ENTJ, excuse me, for an INTJ, I don't know what it. I don't know about the ENTJ, but I know this for the INTJ. When you first, when the directness supersedes anything else, if it supersedes the destination, baby, you got it. You got it all wrong. Then that directness is about your ego. It's not about your destination, unless the destination is about feeding you, because you're right. But once you are responsible, and this didn't happen to me until I had my first school leadership position, and I had a group of people I had to move. When you are responsible for getting people to a particular destination and outcome, it is no longer about your ego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been using the term weaponizing. I've been using the term bastardization, too. But I've been using the term weaponizing. And people weaponize their directness. What is the destination? Anyway, what is the destination? So anyway, if this conversation about the, the directness and the different environments, the internal and the external environments um, that influence that directness... The, um, and I think ego is a destination, honestly. Satisfying one ego is a destination. It's an internal destination, but it's an, it's a destination all the same. 
if it's trying to produce tangible outcomes in the social world, that's external. But when it's about your ego or your emotions or your feelings, baby, that's about your internal self. And that's okay. You just need to know it. But if you've had this conversation, I'm trying to close y'all. If you've had this conversation with anybody in the world, please take this link and share it with, the, with that person, okay? And always be willing to fast forward or say, start at minute 12. That's what I did. I shared a link yesterday. And I was like, the conversation starts at minute 10. And then I went back. I was like, no, 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 it's minute 17. And then later I was like, you know, it's really minute 22, but I wasn't going to go back and change it again. So be willing to say, tell them to go to a particular part in the reflection. All right. If my moving about in this conversation has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, yournidom1, YouTube, yournidom, and pretty soon, oh, I have a Facebook page. That's So I told you I set up the group, right? Excuse me. I set up a personal account, but I set up a page. It's called Your Dom. There's no picture. There's nothing there, but you can go to Facebook, Your Dom. I'm so excited. <laughs> Let me give you your assignment. So this is easy. When are you most direct? And when are you less direct? Or when are you indirect? When? And I'm going to say when as in context. So who are you most direct with? What What environment are you most direct in? So who, where, and maybe there's a time part. And why? (laughs) And and what? Who, what, when, where, and why? There you go. The five W's. Who, what, when, where, and why are you direct? I would take those five W's and and really interrogate your directness. Now I'm going to take this assignment for myself. Even though I had some incredible breakthroughs in this reflection, I'm excited to take the five W's. Who, what, when, where, and why. I'm direct. Oh, my gosh, that's good. (laughs) You guys, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.